This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. This episode contains information discussing depression and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm going to be discussing how to be supportive to someone who has dealt with suicidal ideation or is dealing with depression, as most of us want to be helpful to people that are going through these types of things in our life. Even though there is a lot of information available, it's not always known what's best to say or what to say and how to be best supportive. The purpose behind this episode is really to help those who are supporting someone who's dealing with serious depression and thoughts of suicide, as well as ways to care for themselves, as it can be a difficult and stressful process to navigate. There is a lot to be informed about when it comes to this topic, especially when it comes to helping end the stigma around suicide. I wanted to release this episode around the time it's September now, so I wanted to release it around the time that it is Suicide Prevention Month and, you know, recently a new season of 13 Reasons Why just came out, so I feel like it's kind of appropriate timing and there's going to be a lot of resources available and a lot more awareness and a lot more ways to get involved if you want to throughout this month. So I just want to make this information available and use what I can to raise awareness about this topic. The World Health Organization estimates that each year approximately 1 million people die from suicide, which represents a global mortality rate of 16 people per 100,000 or one death for every 40 seconds. It is predicted that by 2020, the rate of death will increase to one every 20 seconds. That is a really serious issue, which is affecting many people to varying degrees throughout the course of their lives, whether they experience thoughts of suicide themselves or assist in supporting a friend or family member who is dealing with signs and symptoms of suicidal ideation, depression, or attempt. Now, there are some terms that I'm going to want to go over throughout the course of this episode just so I'm on the same page with you guys. Now, when I mention the term lived experience, this is referring to a suicide attempt and suicidal ideation. I personally have lived experience with suicidal depression and ideation, which I'll be sharing another time, and there are many things that have helped me navigate it. I know from my own experience that those who are dealing with serious depression are not the only ones affected by it and family, close friends, and others are on the journey with you and also being affected by this. It really helped to have the amount of support that I did from my family going throughout this process, and I feel like if the tools had been made available to them in order to be of better support, it would have been an even better process for my recovery. However, I can't change my past and whatever happened, but I do want to take the time to offer resources to those who are interested in being supportive in the best way possible. That way you can support the people in your life and hopefully their recovery can be really positive. Throughout this episode, a variety of emotions may come up for you and give yourself permission to pause and come back anytime you need to. 
If anything comes up for you, I'm leaving text lines and hotlines as well as app recommendations and resources in the show notes for you to reach out for support if you need to or continue learning more about this topic. Those of you listening may know somebody or be somebody with lived experience. Each individual's timeline and details regarding his or her experience are completely unique. Most people want to support the people in their life the best way that they can, say the right thing, not say the wrong thing, and be as knowledgeable as possible regarding the matter. Suicidal struggles are a health crisis just like any other health crisis. As we know, watching friends and family deal with health crises of various sorts can be very difficult. It can invoke a range of emotions from hopelessness, helplessness, you may feel frustrated, pity, grief, anger, despair, sadness, numbness, on edge, anxious, confused, and more. For some individuals, their depressive and suicidal struggles may be chronic. They may last for any duration of time and they may need the attention of a medical professional with specialization in that area who's trained in how to handle these matters more specifically than the average individual. Just as much as your loved one or friend needs assistance, you also need to be sure that you are taking time to care for aspects of your health as well whether that be a therapist, a support group, reaching out to people in your community or friends, people that are close to you, whatever you can do to find the support for yourself during this time is really important and can assist you in feeling more balanced, focused, and present as you assist the person in your life to their recovery. Now, every individual is capable of a full recovery with the appropriate resources as there are many who are thriving now who have lived experience themselves. There are specific ways that you can provide support in this process, and that is what I'll be covering in this episode by giving an overview of what suicidal ideation entails as well as what leads up to an attempt, how to identify the warning signs, how to keep he or she affected in a safe environment or create a safe environment for them, and how to plan and help them create a safety plan in times of high risk. Some of the terminology that still carries a lot of stigma that has since been altered to let go of a lot of the judgment associated with suicide is something I kind of want to go over right now. The term or the phrase tried to commit suicide carries a lot of negative connotations from previous generations where the idea and the understanding of suicide or committing suicide was thought of as being more of a crime and there was very little knowledge around the topic. Also, the act of tried to commit suicide, like saying commit if you had a failed to commit suicide or a successfully committed suicide, we really want to change that language around it and rather than saying that they committed or had a failed or successful attempt just rather saying that they attempted suicide. He or she attempted suicide. The act of attempting suicide, it was once considered a crime. And a lot of people sometimes still have negative connotations around it that even thinking about suicide, having thoughts of suicide is a crime when ultimately it's not. It's something that people should feel really safe to discuss and to talk about. And having those thoughts and just being able to talk about that with somebody can help release them. And even just it can take away the power and it can just let it out of your mind and be able to neutralize whatever's going on. It's like once you get it out, it's not bothering you as much anymore and then it can be dealt with. So you don't want to have judgment 
or really approach somebody who's dealing with these types of feelings with a lot of fear, you want to approach it in such a way where how can we find a solution to this? Suicide is really complicated and there's no one defining reason people can end up with depression or suicidal ideation. However, there are a host of contributing factors. There are often times a variety of undiagnosed mental health concerns rooted in hopelessness and pain that go overlooked untreated or undertreated. Unfortunately, many of those who go on to die by suicide had a mental health condition at the time of their death. However, mental health issues are not always present or the single contributing factor. Being aware of those various health and life stressors that can lead to depression and suicide can be useful when it comes to acquiring proper treatment for the situation and aid prevention. Suicide can be prevented just like other health concerns. And it's important to know how it can be prevented, just like we look at how can we prevent heart disease, how can we prevent cancer, what are the beneficial things you can do for your health to help the prevention of that. We always want to start with prevention as much as possible. However, as much as we try to prevent something from happening, it doesn't always prevent it from happening. There are a variety of people that, to their knowledge, take really good care of their health, yet still end up with issues related to their health that are really serious. I mean, one of the first things that comes to mind is, you know, people that work out every day or they run marathons or something and they end up just dropping dead at 55 or something of a heart attack because of other related health issues. So you never really know exactly what's going on, but you can prevent as best as possible, but that doesn't always prevent things from happening. So it's important to take a lot of different factors into account. Now, many who have had suicidal depression, ideation, or even an attempt can go on to live very healthy lives and not die by suicide. What's important is if someone is experiencing pain regarding thoughts, ideations, or what have you, and is recovering from an attempt, it may be because they may be at a loss for certain tools, which can be acquired through different forms of therapeutic or mental health-related medical treatments. If they have done work on themselves, it may have helped to an extent. However, there may be other resources which would be helpful to them rather than solely relying on self-work or themselves exclusively. Now, there are a lot of ways people can unfortunately get derailed and deterred thinking that they need to like force themselves to extremes in order to get rid of this type of situation they're dealing with mentally because what they're feeling is so extreme. So they feel like they need to take it to a really extreme level in order to get rid of it. You know, we see this with a lot of different issues related to different mental health disorders, but this can literally cause people, if they're feeling a level of despair, or insecurity, or pain internally, I've seen all types of things. You know, people can be drawn to all different types of behaviors, whether involves fasting, weight loss, different kinds of surgeries or modifications. It can lead people to thinking that financial success will, you know, be the answer or spending a lot of money in relating to consumerism. All of these which are not the answer. However, the solution may be learning a different way to approach what they're dealing with in a healthier way, to learn more about their mental illness and to address it in an appropriate way. But that confrontation can be really, really uncomfortable for a lot of people because it's just sometimes something we don't want to have to acknowledge. We don't want to have to acknowledge that we're dealing with something really serious that could be and is life-threatening and 
that can just be really heavy to to deal with and to face, especially if you're trying to do it alone, which is why it's so important to get whatever help you need to and to not feel weak for doing that. It takes a lot of strength to reach out and get support when you need it because it's it can be a lot easier to just hold everything in and not really deal with it the best way possible. And again, with those who may have had an attempt or who might be dealing with ideation or dealing with really serious depression, it doesn't mean that they haven't worked on creating tools in their life to get to a certain point that they haven't done a lot of different things. You know, similar to people that approach weight loss, they may have tried a lot of different diets, but they still didn't find what works. It doesn't mean that they haven't tried just because they still look a certain way or they still are eating a certain way. They may need to address the habits, the compulsivity behind maybe if they're overeating or their actions around food, their relationship to food, that might need to be what changes more so than the particular diet that they're on. There's a host of different issues. So sometimes it's how we relate to the mental illness if you're dealing with it or if you're seeing somebody deal with it, experiencing somebody dealing with it, trying to support somebody who's dealing with it, that can really need to change more so than needing to change the illness itself because that is something that can change over time with the right tools and resources in place as well as support. While no two people share the same specific set of circumstances or reasons in regards to why they want to attempt suicide, oftentimes we know they are disconnected from their reasons relating to why they want to live. This isn't the individual's fault or the fault of those around them, but rather they just can't access the feelings, experiences, or people that connect them to life. Now, there is no one risk factor that leads to suicide, but rather a combination of different risk factors. And some people, given certain experiences, are more at risk than others. There are different health factors. Mental health conditions, including pre-existing depression or a history of depression, substance use disorders, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia and psychosis, personality traits of aggression, mood changes and poor relationships, conduct disorders, or anxiety disorders. They also may be experiencing a chronic health issue, condition and or pain, or may have suffered a traumatic brain injury. There are also environmental factors that can contribute to this. If they have access to lethal means, if they live in an environment with firearms, drugs, or different types of weapons, this can be a definitely higher risk situation. It's not the firearm, the drugs themselves, or the weapons that would cause a person to do that, but that combined with a feeling of deep pain and despair is a toxic combination that can lead towards violence towards oneself or others. It doesn't mean that it is the sole contributor, but it can be a contributor. Another environmental factor can be prolonged stress, such as harassment, bullying, relationship problems, or unemployment. And when we talk about harassment, this can be sexual harassment or abuse, and I feel like abuse definitely fits in this category as well. Stressful life events, which may include death, divorce, or job loss, or even breaking up with somebody, just a major change in life can make people a little bit more high risk. 
exposure to another person's suicide, or graphic, sensationalized accounts about suicide. What we put into our body and what we consume, not only through, you know, our eyes, our ears, what we smell, what we taste, what we touch through our five senses, all of that can have an effect on our mood, on our outlook, on how we feel. And I think we can attest to this from, you know, we know when something smells really nice or something tastes really good or you know we might receive a warm hug or we have like a fuzzy sweater on or have a nice warm blanket you know we know the differences most of us between what you know contributes to us feeling positively and some things that contribute to us feeling negatively so it's really important to have an awareness about what those things are that way you can kind of balance things out as best you can when certain circumstance when certain circumstances come up for you there also may be historical factors previous suicide attempts if they have those in their life family history of suicide if their family members have had attempts or have committed suicide childhood abuse neglect or trauma in their life can also contribute to this as well. Now, risk factors or characteristics or conditions that increase the chance that a person may try to take their own life. So all of these risk factors that I've just discussed can show up in people's lives and even more risk factors than this. This is just like a brief overview, but when you get down into the nitty gritty of it, there are all different types of combinations of this that can occur for every single individual because we're all unique. We're all different. We all have different life experience, grew up in different homes and with different parents and circumstances that change the expression as far as what depression or suicidal ideation may look like. Some of the other warning signs you want to be aware of if you're around somebody who you think may be high risk or who has had a suicide attempt is how the person is talking. If they're talking about wanting to kill themselves or somebody else, feelings of hopelessness, having no reason to live, being a burden to others, feeling trapped in unbearable pain. This can be a really strong sign that needs to be taken seriously. And even if people are joking about it, it's just still something to take seriously because, you know, you could joke about a lot of different things, but if someone's joking about something of that nature, it should be taken seriously. And it's, you know, appropriate to ask, are you thinking about about suicide? Are you thinking about wanting to attempt suicide? Like it's important to ask questions in a non-judgmental way because I feel like people may come back to it and have an approach where they feel judged about it. And if the comment or the question comes across as judgmental, it can change how honest a person may be about how they're actually feeling. So trying to ask the question, which is with as much empathy and compassion as possible is really important as well. You know, most people who take their lives or attempt to take their lives exhibit one or more of these warning signs either through what they're saying or what they do. Some of the other warning signs can be behavior, behaviors that may signal a risk, especially if related to a painful event 
or life change related to loss are increased use of alcohol or drugs, looking for a way to end their lives such as searching online for materials or means, withdrawing from activities, isolating from family and friends, sleeping a little too much or not at all, visiting or calling people to say goodbye, giving away prized possessions, aggression, and fatigue. Other warning signs can be related to mood. People who are considering suicide often play one or more of the following moods. Depression, anxiety, loss of interest, irritability, humiliation, agitation, and rage. So you can see with all these different warning signs and characteristics of people that may be at higher risk than others There are so many ways and so many different variations in how this can pop up and it's going to be so different for every single person. There may be people that are experiencing depression that don't have suicidal ideation. There could be people that are experiencing suicidal ideation that don't even have depression, but they may be having other contributing factors that are contributing to them thinking that way. So it's important to have awareness about these things and know what to look for, know what to listen for, and know how to best prepare when it comes to helping somebody through one of these times. You really do want to assume that you are the only one who will reach out to them. You can't leave it up to chance in regards to, oh, well, it's not my responsibility or someone else will deal with it. It's the parent's job. It's not my job to get involved, that type of thing. There's always a way you can do something to some extent that will be helpful. If you are concerned about someone, talk to them in private, talk to them one-on-one, listen to their story, and let them know that you care. Again, ask directly about suicide. Ask them, are you thinking about attempting suicide? Are you having thoughts of suicide? Use the word. Don't be afraid to use the word specifically. And it's, again, very important to do this calmly and without judgment. Show understanding and take their concerns seriously. Let them know their life matters to you, that one conversation could actually save a life. One of the things that you do, some of the things actually that you do want to avoid doing are debating the value of life. Going down the conversation of don't you value your life, like your life is so valuable, you only have one life, like saying all these types of things. When a person is suicidal, that's not the way to talk them off the quote-unquote ledge because they are at a point where they are far past that thought and valuing their life is really not the source of the issue. It is that they are in a lot of pain and they are trying to relieve themselves of that in one way or another or experiencing emotional distress in one way or another that they are trying to navigate as best they possibly can. You know, like I just described with all the characteristics and warning signs, it could be any one of those factors that are contributing to them feeling a certain way in that particular moment. So debating the value of life is not necessarily the best way to go about reaching out to somebody if you're concerned about them. Another thing you want to avoid is how to fix it. Telling a person, oh, this is what you need to do and it'll just be, you know, these things that you just need to fix it and you'll feel better, not exactly helpful. Another thing you want to avoid is telling the person that whatever they're feeling isn't that big of a deal and whatever they're going through isn't that big of a deal. Minimizing, avoiding, 
compartmentalizing this type of thing, doing this to another person's feelings or their situation can be really, really detrimental. When it comes to discussing things along the lines of suicide, people need to be heard. You need to listen to the person. You need to allow them to vocalize everything that they're feeling and let it all out. Put it all out on the table so that it can be worked through and sorted through. Not so they're still hanging on to it, but you have to let them discuss everything that may be contributing to how they are feeling so that a solution can better be reached. If a person says they're thinking about suicide, take the person seriously. Someone considering suicide is experiencing a life-threatening health crisis and may not believe they can be helped. Work with them as best you can to keep them safely away from any lethal means like firearms, drugs, and other weapons and remind them that their suffering is temporary. When you're dealing with chronic mental health issues, especially for years and years of your life, it can feel like it's not temporary, like it's not a temporary emotion. There are times where there is relief from it, and it's important to be sensitive to that. However, the intensity of the emotion that they're feeling in that moment is most likely temporary. But have compassion that a person may have been dealing with this illness for years of their life, and to them, it doesn't feel like a temporary emotion. It feels like this is the only way they experience life, and this is all they feel all the time. Stay with them and call the National Suicide Prevention Line at 1-800-273-TALK or 8255, and be sure to follow up with them after the crisis to see how they're doing. That information will be in the show notes. If you are struggling, you don't want to wait for someone to reach out to you and see if you're okay. Seek mental health treatment or tell your clinician about your suicidal thinking. Treat yourself like you would treat someone else who needs help. You are going to be dealing with so many different emotions around this potentially, and if you haven't experienced it yet, it's difficult to know exactly what to prepare for, but it can be really difficult. Again, just like helping somebody through any other type of health crisis. If you've had to help somebody while they're sick with a cold or recovering from cancer or dealing with being in the hospital after a major surgery or a heart condition or whatever it is, helping people through a time where their health is transitioning from a particular state to a better state or even you may be witnessing someone who's losing their life and passing away it can bring up a lot of emotions. It can bring up existential thoughts of what is my purpose? What am I doing here? How did I contribute to this? Is there anything I could have done differently? All these types of thoughts may begin to come up. And if you want to investigate those for yourself, it can be an important time to do that. If you feel overwhelmed to do that type of investigation in yourself by yourself, there are people in the field of medicine and related to mental health in the medical field that specialize in this, that can help you through it and offer you the resources that will allow you to work through what you're working through and get a little bit more clarity in regards to your emotions. So it's really important to suggest appropriate treatment for those in your life that are dealing with suicidal ideation or have just recovered from an attempt. There are different forms of therapy that can be used and there are different intensive therapies that can be used as well. Inpatient therapy is usually an intake program, which is partial hospitalization or full hospitalization. And this is, again, an intake 
intake program, and it's around-the-clock heavy monitoring, in-depth therapy. And this is oftentimes appropriate for individuals who are dealing with a high level of depression where they're at high risk of attempting suicide again, or they are unable to meet basic self-care needs, like they're not able to wash their clothes or eat or just take care of themselves and takes away a lot of those cares where they are receiving that type of care where they have meals, they have someone to talk to at all hours. They're oftentimes in like a group therapy type situation and there's always a therapist there monitoring them so they can have that attention that they need during that time for the best recovery possible. Outpatient therapy is oftentimes appropriate for individuals who are able to take care of a lot of their basic needs and they are not as high risk as some who are in need of inpatient. And this can look like anything from meeting in support groups, anything from like one to sometimes three times a week for three to five hours sometimes, sometimes longer, sometimes shorter. Sometimes there's different types of groups that specialize in learning about different tools and things that can be implemented in the lifestyle of the individual receiving care. And if you are assisting somebody who is going through this type of care, it's really important to not be judgmental and just be supportive. Ask them about what they're learning, if they want to share anything, how they're feeling, because inpatient and outpatient services can bring up a lot of different emotions. You know, the individual might be around a lot of different people that are also experiencing the same types of emotions, which can be very healing in a lot of aspects because they will feel like they are around people who understand what they are dealing with in different respects and they won't feel as stigmatized because they're not as alone through the process. And I think isolation is a very dangerous aspect of depression that can lead to more suicidal ideations for some. When it comes to hospitalization, this can accelerate the treatment or the care that's available for an individual. And this is appropriate for some people if someone has had a suicide attempt, oftentimes they will be hospitalized as recommended by the police for usually about 72 hours and receive a health evaluation from a physician. Typically, after this type of situation, they would be referred to inpatient, outpatient, or a type of therapy that's going to be appropriate for them as they have just experienced a life-threatening event. So it's really important to make sure that they are very supported throughout the time just in the same way as experiencing any other type of life-threatening circumstance could leave a lot of physical, mental, and emotional trauma to a person. It's really important to pick the appropriate treatment with the least amount of restriction to a person being hospitalized and the correct therapy can really facilitate them getting better a lot quicker. When it comes to the level of assistance that they will need, this may vary in length and specialization, but it's really important to be supportive during this time and to make the decision that would best support their health going in the right direction, even if it may seem really uncomfortable and drastic. Now, mental health 
like all health, takes time to improve. Employing these new types of tools and strategies that might be acquired in a program like, you know, an inpatient or outpatient program or even tools that are learned in therapy can take a while to implement and sometimes years, sometimes months. Every individual is a little bit different. Everybody's symptoms are a little bit different. So it's important to be patient with those that are in the process of recovery as it's not like mental illness isn't something that is visible on the outside as much as it is very relevant on the internal experience for the individual. So if you're around somebody who has, for example, gone through like a full body cast necessary type accident, you're going to be able to see all of those injuries really clearly and you're going to be able to see, well, wow, they've, you know, really been through it and this is going to take a lot of time to heal. But the difficult thing about mental illness is you can't really see that trauma. And so from the outside, the person may look fine, but when you take a closer look into their life, into a lot of their habits and the processes, the thoughts that are going through their head, their self-care practices, how they are living, all these types of things can really make it a little bit more obvious the level of care and support that they may be needing at that time because a lot of the symptoms of depression have a way of creeping into different areas of your life and some people are able to hide it better than others. Some people are able to mask it with different types of behaviors, addictions, compulsions, and may not even feel comfortable discussing it with people. The most important thing you can do is take care of yourself to the extent that you are able to best support them to the extent that you can. Of course, there is the need for a therapist in times like this to support an individual and therapists devote their time as far as their profession to being a very high level of support and making the correct suggestions for individuals. That way they can heal as best as possible. It's really important to celebrate the small changes that are made because even small changes are something to be seen as really significant Maybe this is, you know, employing tools opposed to participating in a self-harm type exercise for them. Maybe they are taking times to practice affirmation or meditation. Maybe they're taking time to breathe differently or think a little bit differently about what they've been through. Maybe they're able to handle their anxiety in the middle of the night a little bit differently after waking up after a really traumatizing nightmare. There are all types of things that a person can be going through, and if they are handling it a little bit better, Better and you notice this in their behavior, it's really important to take the extra step and really acknowledge that and be like, you know, you seem to be a little bit more cheerful today or you seem to be doing a little bit better and open up a conversation about that. See if there's anything that they are doing better that is supporting their well-being and allow them to talk about it, acknowledge it, and celebrate it with them. Because oftentimes, I think people don't always feel like they have the support to celebrate the positives with people. Sometimes they are only complaining about the negatives. So when you're able to affirm the positives with a person who's suffering and dealing with this type of mental illness, it can be really helpful to take that time to acknowledge those things. It's also really important for both you as the person who's being supportive to another to maybe keep a journal of the symptoms that they are experiencing and also really important for the individual to be keeping a journal of the symptoms they're experiencing, keeping a log of what they did that day, what came up for them that day, what type of triggers might have come up that time if they did experience emotional highs or lows, and identify that. 
And that can be used as qualitative, kind of a little bit more objective data when you are maybe going through a difficult time to look back on a time where you were handling a situation a little bit better or handling life a little bit better, what habits were put in place, what coping strategies were put in place to kind of go through that situation a little bit more smoothly and how can that be employed. And I'm going to get into developing a safety plan in a little bit. So that is something that can be of important use during that type of situation. But I think when both people have things written down, maybe the person who is being of support can say, oh, well, I tried this way of being supportive today and maybe it didn't go so well. Maybe on another day you try a different way of being supportive and it's a much better result. So that can be something that's noted and employed on a more regular basis and taken into account because how we feel support and what feels good for us to be supported might be and oftentimes is very different than what another person likes as support. There are a variety of different love languages. We're aware of this and there's a variety of different healing methods. There's a, you know, some people like to receive gifts. Some people like affirmations. Some people like physical touch or intimacy in that way to certain degrees. There's all different types of way of showing you care and you love for a person within a relationship and when you're being supportive this is obviously a little bit different than you know a relationship with a person that's more of like an intimate romantic relationship but when you're being supportive to an individual they might really just feel supported by you being there to listen they might feel really supported by you just being there and spending time with them Maybe they want you to talk with them. Maybe they want to go somewhere and do something with you so they feel a little bit less alone or a little bit less isolated. It's important to get to know what's going to help them and for them to get clear on what's actually helping them. And then you two can meet in the middle to make that happen on a more consistent basis. Then you're building healthy skills, healthy habits that are going to allow the person to heal and for you to be supportive in the most effective way and lead to the most positive result possible. Now, I really want to go through some different self-care techniques that can really help. Now, just as everybody's so different, some of these things will work for some people, some of them won't. But I'm just going to mention as many as I can that will be helpful to you If you are trying to prevent any type of feelings of being at risk or try to help somebody else in recommending some things that they can try as well. So when it comes to the mental aspect of things or addressing the mind, there's of course meditation, taking time to meditate. There are apps for meditation, YouTube videos for meditation, classes on meditation. There are so many different kinds of meditation to try, but meditation can be a really, really useful tool when it comes to clearing the mind, and setting a new pattern of behavior and thought in the brain. Another thing that you can do is start a gratitude journal. Starting a gratitude journal can feel a little bit perverse if you are not actually feeling grateful. I feel like having a gratitude journal is wonderful. It's also important to have a space that you can journal, you know, feelings related to your stress and depression. And, you know, for that, I really like to promote cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy as really strong tools and resources in regards to processing a lot of those emotions. You really take a look at the root of the issue, the thoughts that are coming up, the feelings that you're feeling, and the actions that it's leading you to do. 
And then you're able to rewire that and think of a different process. That way you can actually get it all out on paper and go through it. Give yourself a little pep talk at the end of it if you want to and write all that down. And then maybe that can help you get to a place of gratitude if that's what you need to do. Because there are real things and, you know, those cobwebs in our mind, if we don't clear them up, they can, you know, what is it I heard someone say? If you don't address the demons in your mind, they'll go down into the dungeon of your soul and start lifting weights. You gotta get those dudes out the door, right? So that's a way to deal with it. And sometimes just, again, with the episode that I talked about toxic positivity in, you don't just want to glaze over it and pretend it's not there. It's important to get that stuff out too. So yes, starting a gratitude journal is really helpful, but also having a way to journal out those negative emotions and rewire them is really important too. Take a break from what you're doing in life. If you're working a ton, maybe you need to plan a weekend away or a day away. Use one of your sick days and just take some time off and do something that you enjoy that's going to bring you a little bit of peace. It can be important to get creative, draw, paint, make music, dance. Take time to try something new that you've never done before. Put yourself out there and feel like a goofball. Feel like it's not like you need to do everything perfectly. It's okay to try something and not be hard on yourself for failing. That whole psychology may come into your life in a different respect where you're like, you know what? I tried something new, even if I'd been doing it a long time, and I might be judging myself really harshly for quote unquote failing, but I can always try again and every day is a new day. So it kind of reinstills this. It doesn't minimize whatever past quote-unquote failure that you may have gone through, but it may buffer it a little bit and help you see from a different perspective. I think when you put yourself out there and try new things from time to time or as much as you possibly can, it makes you see that there's a lot of different options to approaching things. There's You can feel more comfortable in your skin because the more you go after the discomfort and the uncomfortable emotions and get used to feeling that discomfort, if you will, it becomes more comfortable. Like that whole process becomes more comfortable. And then going through different setbacks in your life, it may not completely buffer that, but it can make it a little bit different to deal with or less intense. I think another thing that's really important is to acknowledge something that you've done well recently. Most of us are so hard on ourselves. Like we are our hardest critic, so judgmental, so mean to ourselves. For a lot of people that can be the case. And I think if you have that type of tendency that can come up, it's really important to rewire those thoughts and work to figure out how you can affirm yourself. Maybe there are ways in which certain affirmations may feel perverse. They might feel like, yeah, that's not actually true. And that might be uncomfortable to identify with that in the moment. But maybe there are some things that you can look into your soul and be like, you know what, I'm being a little too hard on myself in this respect. I think I can be a little bit kinder and a little bit more gentle and see from a different perspective that I am doing my best and my intentions are in the right place. And maybe if they weren't in the right place, according to really where your ethics lie, then maybe address that with yourself and forgive yourself and be like, you know what, this wasn't how I want it to be. I want to change and make this different. I forgive myself for doing that. Keep it moving and keep going. You can also read a really good book. You can find something. It doesn't even have to be like anything in particular. Just reading a book and learning about plants. Going online and reading an article if you want. Reading a fiction story. Anything you want. 
watching a movie, learning to express your feelings. You know, so many people hold things in for such a long time because maybe they weren't allowed to express their feelings when they were growing up. That wasn't allowed or they weren't allowed to complain about things. And so they feel like a burden to other people or sometimes this shows up in relationships where people feel uncomfortable, even in group settings too, where they're just like, oh, I'm so sorry for bringing this up. Like that whole concept of people not being able to vocalize what they're going through and what they're feeling can be really detrimental because then they feel like a burden to other people. And yes, it can be really overwhelming to listen to somebody complain about things a lot. And I think as we're growing up, that kind of changes as we get older, the types of concerns that we have. And, you know, but I still feel like it is really important to let people know that they have a safe space in their connection with you to be able to do that to a certain extent, to whatever extent you're comfortable with, and to know that that's okay and that they don't need to be sorry for feeling their feelings. Because a lot of people are they harbor a lot of remorse and almost like resentment and shame for feeling the way that they do. And that can also be a contributor to depression. When it comes to body, you want to do things like fuel yourself with really tasty things, healthy things if you can, things that are going to help you feel good. And for some people that might be going and treating yourself to some ice cream, hopefully it's vegan, um, or plant-based. <laughs> or you might just want to have a cup of tea. You might want to go to a restaurant and get your favorite salad or dessert or whatever it is. Whatever whatever sounds good to you. Sometimes treating yourself to something that's going to nourish your body and help you feel a little bit better. I feel like it's really important to be aware of food addictions and compulsive behaviors and overdoing it because then I don't feel like you're actually enjoying the act of trying to do something that's somewhat along the lines of self-soothing. I think it's important to know that that act in itself is not going to solve the problem. So consuming more or doing more of whatever that is, drinking more of whatever it is, is not going to solve the issue. It is going to fuel your body and be something kind to do for your body. So I think there is a there is a line between what is doing something kind for your body and what is doing something that is really abusive to your body. And I think that's a line that you have to identify for yourself. However, I do think addressing compulsive behaviors around consumption of any kind is really, really important to do on an individual basis. Other things is just getting active. Do things that are going to move your body. We all have heard it a bazillion times. You know, moving your body and exercising releases endorphins, which are really helpful, which are like make you happy. So going for a walk, riding a bike, doing some yoga, some push-ups, you know, going to the driving range or a batting cage and whacking a ball if you want to, taking some time to just breathe slowly. Again, kind of coming back to like the physical aspect of meditation can be really important. Other types of things you can do are, you know, take a bath, get a massage, let somebody else work out your kinks, you know, get a chiropractic adjustment. Make sure you're not increasing the level of physical stress that you're dealing with because tension in the muscles can absolutely lead to mental stress 100%. When it comes to your soul and taking care of that, there are different spiritual and religious practices 
practices. If you want to engage in that, then you absolutely can. You can also just ask somebody for a hug. Sometimes we're missing that connection with another person, and that can be amazing to connect with other people in that way. Volunteer for a cause. I know for me, I volunteer and I'm a volunteer member for the American Foundation of Suicide Prevention. So that's something that I like to get involved with because I'm passionate about helping out in that way. But I also love to volunteer for a lot of other issues regarding homelessness, performing arts, giving back to the community when it comes to teens, all types of different things. When you put yourself out there and you give in such a way where you don't need to receive anything back, those acts of service are really, really rewarding because I feel like it instinctively makes you grateful that you can give back to other people and it makes you realize, wow, you have a lot, even if you don't feel like your life is like worth anything or anything, like you can give back in that way. And that is in some way making your life meaningful because you're offering something else to somebody else who would not have that experience, that thing, that healing if it was not for your wanting to give that help. Also, follow social media accounts that make you feel good and filter out the rest. You know, social media can be a great thing. I know I kind of tend to talk about more of the risks of social media on my podcast and how it can contribute to depression and anxiety, but for me, I haven't had that experience related to social media personally. When I look at other people's accounts, I do feel very inspired and really happy for my friends. Again, because I know what a lot of them have been through personally and so it makes me really happy to see the success that they have or the happy times that they have and I know that what people post on social media isn't the full picture so I feel like I have a pretty balanced view when it comes to those things but I do really like following accounts that have positive messages that are you know promoting things like mental health and I feel like I don't really like to follow certain accounts (laughs) so I don't follow many accounts as it is, but I think it is important to make sure you are filtering out things that affect you negatively. If you follow accounts that are evoking emotions of envy or jealousy or feeling like you need to like compulsively buy things or you know things along those lines and it's important to be aware of that and kind of filter that out it's also really important to set boundaries for yourself in a lot of different aspects sometimes we need to set boundaries in our relationships sometimes we need to again set boundaries online set boundaries with the times of day that we're going to engage with certain things the amount of time we're going to spend doing those things all types of stuff and enforce those communicate them with people in your life and honor those for yourself. Another thing to do is to leave work on time. A lot of people can end up staying after to wrap up work and yeah, it might be getting more work done, but the fact of the matter is there's always going to be more work to do. There's always going to be more that needs to be done. And, you know, yes, people say that tomorrow's not promised and all these types of things, but creating those boundaries around your work life and not overextending yourself can be something that's really difficult to do in this day and age. A lot of people end up being contacted on their phones by their work or they're being emailed at home by their work or working from home even when they're not at the office and it takes time away from being able to do those self-care practices, from spending time with family and loved ones. So make sure you leave work at work as much as you possibly can. You can even do things like write a poem get creative, turn whatever you've been through into something creative and artistic if that's something that is helpful for you or just call a friend to talk, you know? There's always that can usually help. When it comes to your scenery and surroundings, there's also a lot of things that can be helpful when it comes to self-care. Get out into nature. I feel like nature can answer a lot of questions that sometimes other things can't. Watching a sunset or a sunrise 
taking your dog to the park, you have a dog to take them out. If you have a child, maybe take them out. Frame a favorite photo and put it where you can see it. You know, I think so much of our experience with photographs can be online and on our phone, but I think really bringing a photo old school into your space, putting it in a frame and having it as like a physical object can be really powerful. Put on your favorite song or a favorite playlist. I know I have a favorite playlist that I go to that is just like all super happy music that I love. And, you know, that's different for every person. So make one for yourself if you don't already have one. Go to the movies, watch something new, turn on Netflix and turn on something that you enjoy watching. Maybe it's documentary, maybe it's comedy, maybe it's a thriller movie. I don't know, whatever you want. Meet a friend in a place in nature or for coffee. Go see a sporting event. Get out and be around other people. Try not to isolate yourself too much, especially when you're feeling these types of emotions. Go for a drive with the windows down. Make an area of your home nice and tidy and comfortable so that you have like a little safe space or a little comfortable place that you can go to. Now, talking about all these self-care practices, if you are feeling suicidal or depressed, these may not be cures. I think there are other measures that you need to take to deal with times of emotional intensity in a very practical way. But what I just discussed, these are things that you can do on a more regular basis or after times of feeling that emotional intensity in order to calm yourself down. And if it works for you to do that, to use these during the time of emotional intensity, then by all means, that is a really good way to cope. However, if you are feeling suicidal, it's important to reach out for help and get it in the way that you need, not to necessarily go to these different self-care practices and seeing that as a solution to it. If those things work for you, great. But if they don't, reach out if you need to or go to self-care practices if you need to do what works for you. But when you practice the self-care on a regular basis and prioritize that, especially if you or someone you know has had experience with an attempt of suicide, that's very important to keep into perspective. Now, when it comes to setting up a safety plan, it's really important to have this type of thing in place, especially for somebody who has a past of suicidal ideation, suicidal depression, or a past attempt. This can be really, really helpful in preventing any type of escalation of behaviors or emotions related to suicidal ideation or an attempt. And this is something that's really important to create with a supportive person. Most likely a therapist is going to be really important to reach out to to create this type of a plan with. And most therapists will go through this process of creating sort of a safety plan. This is really important to do with a therapist before the crisis or outside of a time of crisis because oftentimes when you come to a place of crisis where there's high escalation of emotions, people are not able to think as clearly as they would be when they are a little bit more chilled out or they're not being triggered by something and they're a little bit more balanced. It's not entirely reasonable to ask of people that they are 100% balanced 100% of the time because life always throws different things at us. And if, you know, someone hasn't healed from everything in their past, which is a little bit unreasonable to expect that all people have like healed 100% from everything in their past, everybody's at a different place with that. And especially people that are dealing with serious depression might be going through the process of dealing with that. So it's really important to be sensitive to 
their needs at the time and get them to be on that path of continuing that, not to steer away from it and end up doing something really drastic. When it comes to being as supportive as possible to an individual in their life, it's really helpful to know a list of personal warning signs or triggers. Some of these things can be thoughts, subjects, people, places, a suicidal memory. Maybe they had a nightmare of killing themselves at a specific place. Maybe they had a lot of ideation about a specific location. It might be really triggering if they go to that place and they might be having a full panic attack or stress response to that due to remembering what that felt like. They may have planned to have an attempt at a specific location or they may have had an attempt at a specific location. So that is going to affect them. There might be people in their past that have been abusive or harmful or judgmental towards them in the past or harmful in any way. There might be certain topics discussed. I mean, some people it can even come down to smells or textures or lighting at certain times of day. I mean, literally, there are so many things that can affect a person's sensitivity to how they're going to feel. And it's really important to choose as many of those things that can provide a very calming and safe environment as possible for the individual. Because when you get into a state where your thought processes are altered, it can put you at higher risk and alter your decision making. So it is really important to make sure those types of signs and triggers are minimized as best as possible for the healthiest recovery. Another thing that can be employed is know some activities that they find calming, maybe playing some cards or going for a walk, eating a certain type of food, burning a type of incense or candle. Maybe the smell of a particular essential oil can be really calming for them. Playing an instrument, playing music, a particular show, whatever it may be. These are things to know as far as like activities that they find calming. Maybe just going to a lake and staring at the water, being someplace out in nature, whatever works. We all have different things that can help us personally, and that could be something that you could invite them to try with you if you have things that work for you. And it's also important to really practice those things yourself. Take time for yourself to go do those things on a regular basis so you can be at the highest level of support for your loved one who's going through all of this. Again, not as a way to neglect caring for them and being like, I can't deal with you right now. I need to go do my own things. But make sure you take time to take care of your mental health and your well-being. That way, in those times where you are needed, you can be of support to the best of your ability. Another thing to know as far as a safety plan is to have a list of friends or places they like to go in ways that they like to be social. So this can mean maybe they have a couple of close friends that they like to talk to on a regular basis that help them feel a little bit more at peace. Maybe there are a couple locations that they like to go to either to eat or to socialize or whatever it may be that can be a good place for them to feel comfortable and remember some happier times. These are good places to know because maybe they might include activities that you can partake in or suggest to them when they are in states of emotional 
heightened risk. It's also important to take certain emergency measures. Some of these really include knowing where they might be when suicidal thoughts occur, how to be of immediate support or set up structure for immediate support, whether that means letting a, you know, maybe closer neighbor know or like a friend, a family member, a pastor, a coach, or a teacher who maybe lives in their area if you don't live with them or somebody that you know can reach out to them and be of support to them um, as soon as possible. Sometimes it just can really help an individual to physically have someone there, even not even for that long. Sometimes even just for like five or 10 minutes, they can have a conversation and calm down a little bit. And if it's a familiar person, sometimes it can be a little bit more calming rather than it being a total stranger. But for some people a total stranger might actually be who they need to talk to. There are a lot of talk and text lines available, some of which I will be noting in the show notes. Um, There's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, and there's also the Crisis Text Line, and um, those are available 24 hours a day. And there's oftentimes crisis resources within your city or even things like a warm line. A warm line is a line that you can call to just talk with somebody if you're not in a state of crisis, but you just need to talk with somebody. And it is oftentimes a random person who is maybe somebody that you don't know, but it can be somebody that you reach out to in those times for support and can get you through different situations or help them through different situations that otherwise you might not know how to navigate the best. Another thing that's really important is to remove all lethal means from their surroundings. If you live with the person or you know where they live, you know that they may have different weapons or firearms in their possession or on their person or their property, it is really important to limit their access to that. As we know that when people who have access to lethal means are suicidal, their risk of dying by suicide is unfortunately higher and this risk far outweighs the probability that they will need to use whatever weapon or lethal means for a mean of protection or self-defense at the time. It's really important to do what you can to put time and space between a person and their means to end their lives and keep them safe from hurting themselves and putting that time and space between that will allow them to get the appropriate treatment that they need and hopefully alleviate that emotion for the time being and allow them to recover and gain some tools in place of you know the means to harm themselves you know depression is not always a temporary feeling for a lot of people that experience depression it can go on for years for decades it varies in time span. However, suicidal thoughts and emotions and intensity can vary and it is oftentimes not something that is constant ongoing for most people. It can be something that is far more temporary than the experience of depression and it is something that can be addressed. Both can be addressed, and it is possible to heal from both as well. Removing the access to firearms and weapons can look like keeping the firearm in a safe or separate from the ammunition and making sure the person does not have access to this. Maybe if the safe has a particular combination that the person doesn't know it, or if it's locked with a key that the person does not have the key, it's really important to make sure that whatever means are being prohibited are locked up, disassembled as much as possible. That way it's not easy to just go grab something and 
you know, take an extreme action with it. For some people that have kept their firearms in a safe, it can be really important to place different objects in the safe that remind the person for reasons of living. Maybe people in their life that they love or experiences that were positive in their life, maybe different trinkets or important things that are beautiful to them and that can be really beneficial in preventing them or changing their mood around that type of ideation. It's really important to have an open conversation and dialogue and about the person's safety on a consistent basis. Ask how they're doing. Ask if they've been feeling suicidal specifically. Don't be afraid to address that and keep the conversation open. That way you know how you can be of best support to the person. Again, when it comes to removing the lethal means medications and sometimes even things like alcohol can be really important to remove for some people when they are exposed to different types of drugs or medications or alcohol this can alter their thinking process and their state of mind which would cause them to do things or contribute to them doing other things that could result in a life-threatening situation so it is important to be aware of whatever is going on with a person and what they have access to and limit that as much as possible ask them as well what they feel like contributes to them not being able to handle situations as best as they would like to and ask what you can do to help because they may know. And for some people, they know what would help them, but they don't have the willpower to do it themselves for the time being. And you setting a boundary or supporting a boundary for them can allow them to have that time and space to develop a healthier relationship with themselves without that substance or that lethal mean to end up hurting themselves. Keeping the environment safe is really important, especially with language, behavior, and treatment towards a person. It's really important to not say things like, you make every day of my life miserable, or this is too much for me, like treating a person like you're a problem. Saying these types of things can be really, really damaging to anybody, and it really can cause question from a person if they are narcissists that they would say those types of things because oftentimes if another person is you know being that hateful to another person sometimes it can come from them hating themselves and narcissistic abuse can contribute to individuals dealing with suicidal depression there is a huge link there so if you are finding that it is causing you so much stress that you are going into places of emotional intensity where you are getting triggered and you are not able to deal with it, it's really important to not just avoid those emotions and run away from the situation every single time it comes up. It's really important to face those emotions and be like, wow, okay, this is making me feel a certain way, but how can I see from this person's perspective that they're not trying to do something to hurt me, that they are not doing something that is like triggering in a negative way. There's there's not an in tension from the other person to do something that's harmful, that they are dealing with a mental disease that is not exactly in their control 100%. So you have to be able to separate that and to be able to put their needs in a priority for the moment and help them as best you can and really differentiate the things that they're saying that might end up being hurtful to you or triggering to you. Set that aside and really just keep them safe. 
rather than saying things that might come off as very offensive, defensive, or abusive. Now, I am going to leave a list of resources, including phone numbers, apps, and websites that can be helpful to anybody who is experiencing this type of ideation or is trying to support anybody who's going through this time. It can be a very emotionally challenging experience for not only the person who is experiencing suicidal depression, but also the people that are trying to be supportive. The best thing you can do is educate yourself as best you can and find the ways that you can be supportive. And there are a lot of tools and resources out there and how to do so. And think of this as a growth process and a gift that you're giving yourself. Oftentimes when you're able to educate yourself about ways to better be supportive to another individual, that's, you know, those are tools that you can use for yourself as well. And if you are having different things come up for yourself in your life, these are ways to keep yourself in a place of employing habits of self-care and awareness that are going to be really useful to you and they are going to provide you with tools that you can use to your benefit as well. It is really important to remember to balance self-care for your own mental and physical health. It's important to prioritize it in your life, again, not as an excuse or as a way to neglect the person in need, but as a way to be best supportive to their recovery as you possibly can. If you are helping or being supportive to somebody who has had a suicide attempt, who is dealing with suicidal ideation or depression, remember that it is possible to have a full recovery from this type of mental illness. There are many people that continue to go on and live very healthy lives despite having experienced this, and they're able to make full recoveries and speak about what they've been through and carry on with their life and live very fulfilled lives. So it's great to be a positive part of their process of recovery rather than judging or stigmatizing a person who is dealing with this type of situation. Remember that you're doing a wonderful thing by supporting another who is dealing with these types of thoughts and ideations and behaviors and or somebody who is recovering from an attempt. In times where it may get really stressful and painful, remember that you're being a part of the positive process rather than what's hurting and do your best to focus on that. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. 